0: I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is Please Go On, where we go deeper with the author of an important op-ed. The Omicron variant accounted for 73% of new coronavirus cases in the United States last week. Houston Methodist Hospital, which has been sequencing genomes since the beginning of the pandemic, says that in one week, Omicron spread as rapidly as the Delta variant did in three months. Dr. Lena Wen, a post contributing columnist and author of Lifelines, a doctor's journey in the fight for public health, wrote a piece this week with the headline, No, vaccinated people should not cancel their holiday plans. I wanted to get Dr. Wen's insights on this new variant. Here's our conversation. And by the way, Another hallmark of this moment we're living in, Dr. Wen didn't have child care when we recorded our interview, so she spoke to me from her car.
1: There's a lot that's unknown about what's going to happen come 2022. I'll say that right now, the major concern is that we have Omicron on top of already a winter surge of the Delta variant. Already we had hospitals that were at or near or even over capacity in many parts of the country because of Delta. And then you have on top of that, this extremely contagious variant. I mean, we talked about Delta as the most contagious variant that we've seen. And now we have Omicron that's many more times more contagious than that. So as to what exactly is going to happen, we don't know. My hope, of course, is that We don't have two things. I would like to see at least Omicron replace Delta. And the hope, again, is that Omicron causes less severe disease. But even if it causes less severe disease, but you have many more people get infected, we could still see our hospitals reach breaking point. There are some projections that we could be upwards of a million new cases of COVID-19 a day, which is really unimaginable. And our best hope, again, is that vaccinations will protect us so that we're able to decouple infections from hospitalizations and deaths. So ideally, you you do see a rise in infections, but not in hospitalizations and deaths. I'm not sure that that's going to happen, but that is something that we might try to look forward to for 2022.
0: Yeah, and I'm so glad you mentioned that because it it does feel like maybe there's a moment that's coming where we kind of have to, Change a little bit or evolve how we think about the virus because, you know, even in the last few days, we're just constantly getting news of people who have not just gotten the vaccine, but also the booster who have tested positive from Maryland Governor Larry Hogan. On Sunday, we heard Elizabeth Warren and Cory Booker, both senators, got breakthrough infections. Now, the good news is that while they have COVID, they're in okay shape and and hopefully won't need to be hospitalized. But what do you make of this rise in breakthrough cases? And can you explain why that's not any less reason to get the vaccines and the booster?
1: Yeah, the way that I would think about the vaccine is that it's a very good raincoat. So it protects you very well when there's a drizzle outside. But if there's a thunderstorm, at some point you're going to get wet. And this is what's happening right now when there is so much virus around us. Even the vaccines, which are amazing at protecting you, can't do the job alone, and so you need additional layers of protection. And so this is the reason why I have been writing about the two out of three rule, which is that when you have lots of virus around you in indoor settings, you need two out of three things, vaccination, testing, or masking. So if you're going to an indoor event and everybody has proof of vaccination and they're masked, you should be fine. However, if people are going to be unmasked because there's food and drink being served, then ideally everybody is tested the day of or as close to that event as possible. So vaccination plus testing. If you have workplaces where people are not known to be vaccinated, then you need both testing and masking. So two out of three, vaccination, testing, or masking. And that's because we have this high level of virus around us. If we get to a point where there isn't that much virus once again, then just the vaccination should be sufficient. That's not what we're seeing. And that's why there's this high level of virus and high number of breakthrough infections right now.
0: One of the reasons that I have really enjoyed your expertise throughout the pandemic is that you've been really good about helping people weigh the relative risk levels that they're willing to take on. You talk about uh, having a COVID budget, basically, or two out of three, and recognizing that it's not a zero-sum game, that it's not always an either-or. With what we're talking about, I think that there's some fear that it's almost moot when you have experts out there saying everyone, which is not what you're saying, should expect they're going to get Omicron after two years of weighing these risks so carefully. How do you cope with that? If you don't want to get it, do you just decide to hunker down right now? We had this long conversation in 2020 where people kept talking about herd immunity. You hear people again saying, maybe it's better we just all get it sooner rather than later. Can you explain why that Mentality is a little problematic in how to weigh risk in this Omicron period.
1: It's really hard. It's really hard to understand risk. But I do think that a lot of people who are vaccinated and boosted and who are generally healthy might very well and might very reasonably decide that they will get Omicron in the sense that they don't want to put their lives on hold in order to prevent a breakthrough infection. Chances are, if you are generally healthy and you get Omicron or another variant, you're going to be just fine. You're not going to be ill enough to be hospitalized. So I could really understand somebody saying, hey, I want to go back to restaurants and plays and to see my family and to travel. I want to do so responsibly, and so I am going to still take some precautions. For example, I'm going to be masking. Even if it's not just to protect me, I don't want to give somebody else COVID or before I go see my elderly relative at a nursing home. I know that I was just at a crowded holiday party, um, so I'm going to wait a few days and then get tested before seeing my relative because I don't want to be part of the chain of transmission that infects other people. I mean, I think it's reasonable, even though this may sound um, like an anathema to some people, but I think it's reasonable for some individuals who are, again, fully vaccinated and boosted to say, I am okay with getting COVID, because I value these other things in my life that I don't want to put on hold anymore. That said, I also understand that there are going to be other individuals who don't want the possibility of long-haul COVID, or who have young children, or unvaccinated family members, and they want to continue to be careful. People are living in very different realities now, and we should accommodate for those realities. With the caveat, though, that I'm talking about people who are vaccinated. If you are unvaccinated, you can be vaccinated, and you're remaining unvaccinated by choice, I have a lot less sympathy for saying that you should do whatever you want. We are in this position because of the unvaccinated. And the vaccinated and the responsible individuals should no longer have to pay a heavy price for the choices of the unvaccinated.
0: What other tips do you have for how to deal with Omicron over the holidays? You mentioned some of the, you know, considerations and being sensitive to if you're going to a party, get tested a couple days later before you see relatives. Any other advice?
1: Yeah, I'd say that masking remains a really important measure of protection, especially when we have something that we know to be so transmissible. Wearing a high-quality mask is so critical We should not be, at this point in the pandemic, still be okay with cloth masks. I mean, cloth masks are little more than a facial decoration. They should not be okay. I mean, you have countries like Austria and Germany, for example, that are requiring basically a KN95 or N95 in public places. We should be at least requiring a three-ply surgical mask if not a full respirator, N95 or KN95. And if you're going to airports and train stations and, and concerts and other places where you're around a lot of individuals, even if you don't worry about the risk of Omicron to yourself, worry about your being an asymptomatic carrier to others. And so wear a high quality mask, I'd say is really important. The second thing, and back to this idea of the three things, right? It's vaccination, testing, and masking. The third thing is testing. I remain shocked and disappointed that the Biden administration has put all their eggs in the vaccine basket. They really forgot about testing. And by the way, I think they forgot about masking as well because they have not said, as other countries have, that we need high quality masks. But we really have a crisis on hand with testing. How are we back in this position from a year ago when people are waiting 72 hours or more for a PCR test result?
0: We'll be right back after a short break. D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser put the city's indoor mask mandate back into effect as of Tuesday. Do you think the mayors and governors should be putting indoor mask mandates back into effect?
1: I do with one caveat. I think that indoor mask mandates should absolutely be required in settings with people of unknown vaccination status. But I also think that in places where proof of vaccination, even boosters are required, that they could leave it to the discretion of the employer or the institution to say, do they still want indoor masking? Frankly, we need to have more incentives for vaccination. One important incentive for many people is the ability to not have to wear masks. And you could imagine if there's a if there's an office, for example, where everybody is vaccinated and boosted, maybe even they have testing bi week or twice weekly testing for all their employees, that could replace the need for masking. And so I do think that it is important to offer that. Again, proof of vaccination required. And so if there are people of unknown vaccination status, make sure that there is still an indoor mandate in place, but you really want an incentive. And so if an entire classroom, for example, is vaccinated, entire team in a workplace is vaccinated, I think it would be reasonable to make masks optional in those settings.
0: Do you think we're still safe to go maskless outdoors? When should we be wearing a, a, you know, a surgical mask or a KN95 when we're outside?
1: I don't think that you need to be wearing a surgical mask or N95 when you're outside the risk of outdoor transmission is extremely low. Certainly if you're walking, if you are in an outdoor setting, um, if you're in a park, you're not around a lot of people, there's definitely no need for a mask. I could imagine it may be in some extraordinary circumstances where you're packed together at a concert um, or something like that where people are literally on top of each other for prolonged periods of time. I could imagine a situation where a three-ply surgical mask may be of use And if you want to wear one for an additional level of protection, no one's stopping you from from doing that. But look, with masks, we don't come from a mask-wearing culture. I think it's important to tell people what are situations that they really need to wear a mask as opposed to situations that they really don't. And I think outdoors, we should just take off the table and say no need to wear a mask. However, indoors, if you're going to be around people, again, of unknown vaccination status in particular, really important to wear that N95 or KN95.
0: What do you recommend for families this week who are trying to be together? How can they do it safely? What is the smartest way to approach this if maybe you can't just go easily get a PCR test?
1: Yeah, it's a really good question. And I'm very sad that we're in the position that we're in where we cannot just all get regular rapid testing. Because the best thing to do, and there are going to be some families that have this available. For example, there are parts of the country where there are a lot of home tests available. There are other parts of the country where they are not available. So let's say that you're in a part of the country where there are plenty of home tests available and you can afford these tests, which again, is uh, it prices out a lot of families. But let's say that you can not afford it. What I would recommend is people who are gathering should ideally all be vaccinated and boosted. And ideally, those individuals who want to gather right before they get together, as close to that gathering as possible, they all take a rapid test. And they're able to get together safely or relatively safely. Again, nothing is 100%, but it substantially reduces their risk with vaccination and testing. So two out of three things. If there are circumstances, as there are for many families, including mine, where there are young, unvaccinated children, if these are the only kids or the only people unvaccinated, that's also okay because everybody is still getting tested and this is literally the definition of herd immunity, that the everybody else around them is vaccinated and so that helps to protect the children. But if there are multiple sets of unvaccinated kids, there may need to be a decision made. I would still be okay if everybody gets tested that same day for all these kids to still be getting together. Other families may decide that they are not comfortable with this and may want to have most of their events be outdoors, as an example. So I think if there are unvaccinated people present, or people who have not yet had their boosters, or people who are immunocompromised or or elderly with chronic medical conditions. One thing you could do too is to require masks indoors, to serve food only outdoors.
0: I am hearing a lot from people who are nervous about schools closing again, Uh, you know, and and especially parents who are worried that some schools have started to say they're not going to come back right away in January. At the end of last week, the CDC issued new test-to-stay guidance. Can you explain what this is and whether it's safe for kids to be in classrooms right now?
1: Yeah, so two things. The first is about test-to-stay. I'm very optimistic and very excited about test-to-stay. Again, we're going to be living with COVID for the foreseeable future. We shouldn't have to have kids out of school for such a long time. I mean, my son, who's in preschool, has had to quarantine a couple of times already because one person in his class got COVID. And even though all the kids wear masks in school, and some of the exposures were a bit questionable, to be honest, or the timeline was a bit questionable, he had to miss a lot of school. And we shouldn't have to have we shouldn't have to do that. And so the idea of instead of kids quarantining and not being in school if they're exposed, if instead they are tested every day, that is a great method for ensuring safety while also reducing the out-of-school time. So I'm, I'm very optimistic about that. Although, in order for tests to stay to work, we have to have testing. Actually, schools are a lot safer than they were just a few months ago because five to 11-year-olds are now eligible to get the vaccine. And so parents of children who are eligible but have not yet gotten vaccinated you have the ability to pr- to protect your children and keep them in school. And again, having the additional testing on top of that and requiring masks in the meantime will help keep kids in school. And I believe that schools should all be staying open right now.
0: You know, Moderna has said its booster shot could provide good levels of protection against Omicron. Dr. Tony Fauci said an Omicron-specific COVID vaccine is not yet needed because early data shows boosters bolster disease-fighting antibodies. You got the Johnson & Johnson vaccine and then a Pfizer booster. That's the same combination our producer, Julie Deppenbrock, got it. And she's wondering, do you feel adequately protected? What do we know so far about which vaccines and boosters are most effective against Omicron? and And how can we as sort of consumers, as citizens, react accordingly?
1: It's really hard because we're getting this drip, drip, drip of data. And that's because... Omicron is new, and so studies are being done right now, and so we're getting data and new research in pieces. But based on what we're seeing so far, it appears that all the vaccines provide some level of protection against severe disease caused by Omicron. So that's good news because that's not just for us here in America. That's also for people who got the AstraZeneca vaccine or Sinovac or others. The data so far look like people who are vaccinated have some level of protection against severe illness. The good news for people in America and others who have access to the mRNA vaccines, Pfizer and Moderna, is that a booster dose of Pfizer and Moderna appears to result in high levels of protection, including against symptomatic infection due to Omicron. And so there are many reasons to get boosters, including to protect against the Delta variant. But certainly there are convincing reasons to to get the booster to be protected against Omicron. I think it's the best thing, if we are able to get boosted with this particular vaccine and not a new Omicron-specific vaccine, because otherwise we would keep on playing whack-a-mole. Every time you need a new vaccine, you're going to get a drop-off because some people are going to decide that they don't want to get vaccinated and so or don't want to get that booster. And so I, I think that it's really good news that it looks like the same vaccine, the same booster that we've been using all along, appears to be effective against Omicron. And I hope that the data continue to show that that's the case.
0: Does it still make sense at this point to get the flu shot if you haven't yet this season?
1: Oh, absolutely. We're still not even at the peak of flu season yet. And so I think people should remember, as obvious as this might seem, that um, influenza and COVID-19 are two different illnesses. And so the vaccine against one of them is not going to protect you against the other. And so you should definitely get the flu vaccine just as you should get the COVID vaccine and the COVID booster. And by the way, you can get that at the same time on the same visit um, usually what they do is choose two different sites, so two different arms. Um, you get a booster in one arm and the flu shot in the other.
0: Pfizer announced its experimental anti-COVID pill could prevent severe illness and should be able to work against the Omicron variant. Could these kinds of experimental pills be a game changer for the treatment of the virus and help us get from pandemic to endemic? Should we not put too much confidence in them too early to say? What's your view on, on the anti-COVID pills?
1: Oh, no, I think they are really important. Um, I actually wrote before a column on how it's vaccines and testing and early treatment that's going to get us out of this pandemic. And the reason is, as much as we may not want this to be the case, there are going to be people who will remain unvaccinated. Also, there are people who are vaccinated but who are elderly, with chronic medical conditions, who are immunocompromised, who are at risk for severe outcomes. And so reducing the likelihood of progression to severe outcomes will help those individuals. It also helps with a major problem that we're facing now, which is the potential collapse of our healthcare system. If you can stop people from needing in-hospital care because they don't get severely ill, that is a game changer in terms of how we perceive COVID.
0: I'd like to end the interview on a more hopeful note. Uh, all of us are exhausted and confused. It's, it's been a bad December, it's been a bad 2021, it was a bad 2020. It seems like we're stuck in this endless pandemic loop. Where do you see reasons for hope in spite of everything?
1: It's a little hard to talk about hope as we're coming into this um, viral blizzard, as Michael Osterholm um, calls it. But I think that we have to recognize that we're just at a very different place than we were last year. I mean, thanks to science that really delivered, thanks to the Biden administration really ramping up vaccines and boosters, we now have the tools to get us out of this pandemic. We have them. They're all there. I mean, we need to scale up production of tests. We need to get people to get vaccinated, but we actually, all the components are there. And for the vaccinated and boosted, by and large, the risk to them is actually pretty low. And so I think there is a lot of hope, but we have to get through the next few weeks and months, which might be some of the most difficult that we've seen, especially for the unvaccinated.
0: Well... Let's hope for the best. Uh, Lena. thank you so much. Merry Christmas. I I appreciate the time and the the great guidance.
1: Thank you very much. Great to join you.
0: President Biden announced Tuesday afternoon that the federal government will distribute about 500 million free at-home tests via mail beginning next month. Health officials are going to set up a website where Americans can order these tests. Many public health experts say half a billion sounds like a lot, but it's not nearly enough for a country of 330 million people. Biden's team says they'll also establish new federal testing sites across the country, starting this week with one in New York. And to relieve overrun hospitals, the federal government is immediately sending emergency medical teams to Michigan, Indiana, Wisconsin, Arizona, New Hampshire, and Vermont. Lastly, Biden says he'll deploy an additional 1,000 military doctors, nurses, and paramedics to strained medical centers during the first few months of the new year. If you enjoyed this conversation, you should really sign up for Lena's weekly opinions newsletter. It's called The Checkup with Dr. Wen. A link to subscribe is in our show notes, along with a link to her latest column. And please take time to leave us a rating and review. It is how new listeners find us. Please Go On is produced by Julie Deppenbrock with editing from Allison Michaels, Renita Jablonski, and Michael Duffy. This episode was mixed by Veronica Simonetti. Our theme music is by Ted Muldoon. You're here because you know the value of The Washington Post. And there's another chance to share the gift of the best op-ed pages and world-class journalism, stories that matter to you and your life, with an incredible deal— from now until the 4th of January, you can give a year-long subscription to The Post for just nine ninety-nine. dollars Maybe that gift should go to you first. Don't miss out. Take a minute now and go to WashingtonPost.com slash subscribe. We're off next week to celebrate the new year, but we'll be back in January with more episodes because there's always more to say.